minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network from Radio 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Yes, it's a one percenter today. No, I'm not a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang, but when you look at me and you look at my size, you'd think I would be, but I'd fall off a bike if I tried. Now, we're going to do one percent. We're going to do... 1% superannuation towards cooperatism collectives. We're going to do a 1% stock market turnover tax. And obviously we'll do lots of other bits and pieces that are interesting. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy. It's Yeah, I am laughing, but you don't want to know why. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. No, I'm not worried about the definition and why. Why does that? Uh, what does that mean? An anarchist society? Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power. You equalise wealth. So the anarchist struggle. It's not just a revolutionary struggle, but it's also a continuous, long-term struggle to devolve power and redistribute wealth. So many of the campaigns which we initiate here at the Anarchist World this week through the Anarchist Marine Institute uh, are based on that very principle of devolving power and uh, redistributing wealth. Doesn't mean we don't want to create it, but we do want to redistribute it. All right, let's look at 1%. I said I was going to do a 1% today. Now, you may have noticed that unemployment's just creeping up, and you may have noticed that people on New Start allowances are the new whipping boys and girls of society, you know. It's good to be on a New Start allowance because, you know, it's legalised poverty. And now they're going to drug test you. It's good, good to see. And you work for the dull and you fill out tons of forms and you turn up at Centrelink all day. It's a matter of just trying to keep you busy. They don't want you to sit at home watching TV. And I can't blame them. You know, you've seen what's on paid TV and unpaid TV these days, free-to-air TV these days. But on a more serious note, unemployment issue. Now, in a capitalist society... In a society where we no longer have a mixed economy, to a significant degree, there are two forms of employment. You can either be employed by the government, whether it's a local government, state government, federal government, or you can be employed by the corporate sector. There seems to be no middle ground. And we see constantly, as we are seeing with Coates Hire Firm at the minute, people being removed from full-time work and forced into subcontracting positions where pay cuts of 30 to 40 to 50 percent are normal for doing the same job and the same hours. And it's all legal, of course. It's all legal. 
I mean, the Australian Fair Work Commission is quite happy to rubber stamp it. And what we've seen in this country over the last uh, 40 years, and that's why there's no wage growth, we've seen the, the removal of the right to strike. Let's not forget that when the Fairfax uh, journalists, who uh, are about to lose one in four of their uh, numbers, went on strike, that was an illegal strike. And if Fairfax wanted to, they could have gone to the Fair Work Commission and each worker could have been fined $10,000 a day for being on strike because it's an illegal strike. So in Australia, as you know, today, it's illegal to withdraw your labour, except during an enterprise bargaining agreement. And even then, you see the Fair Work Commission, as we saw with the uh, Latrobe power workers who were talking about going on a strike, within that legal window, even then the Fair Work Commission steps in and says, well, it's illegal, end of story. So there's that. At the same time, we've had a... High rate of immigration. And let's not forget that 40% of overseas students who come here to study, between 30 and 40% uh, apply for Australian residency and then become citizens. It's a mechanism via which to increase the number of people that are in the workforce. Also, we've had the L 457 visa debacle and also many other types of visas which are are being designed to bring in docile workers, workers who won't join unions, workers who won't arc up because if they do, they may find their visa cancelled. So so you've got this change of climate in society where it's very easy to be unemployed and it's very easy to be underemployed and it's very easy to be employed in a manner where you don't even receive the award rate. And we've seen the Fair Work Commission recently, you know, attack some of the poorest workers in this country by making a decision to re, to greatly reduce penalty rates. So this is the situation people find themselves in. They're either, you know, trying to find diminishing number of jobs in the public service at the local, state or government le- or federal level, or they're trying to find a place in the private uh, workforce where a lot of jobs, about 40% are casualised, where you get two hours here, four hours here, especially if you're in a semi-skilled worker. And the idea of having a full-time job is something which is uh, disappearing. So how do you approach this problem? How do you approach this problem today? I'm not talking about, you know, when the revolution comes, hallelujah, brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about that type of crap. I'm talking how do you approach the problem today? How can you achieve full employment? How can people have useful, productive work? How can they be involved in useful, productive work when we basically rely on the private sector and the, uh, the government sector to provide employment in our society today, now, 2006, 17, May 2017? A simple concept which I've spoken about before is the creation of cooperatives and collectives. Now, anybody who's in a cooperative or collective doesn't get rich. They can be involved with other people in life-sustaining, useful, productive work. But the major problem with forming a cooperative or a collective, uh, which can then uh, compete in a marketplace where the uh, private sector seems to uh, dominate uh, employment, is that no Body will lend you money. The banks will not lend you money. 
for the starting capital. They won't lend you money. Use the C word. They will not. You walk in and say, "I want." You know, I've got. We've got this legally recognised, registered cooperative, legally registered. We want money because we want to expand our industries. We want to start a particular job. They will not lend you money. So a simple way. And again, these things can be done through parliamentary legislation. You don't need blood in the streets, blood in the wattle. Just simple legislation. There are over there's over a trillion dollars in superannuation funds today. Over a trillion dollars. Let's say from now, legislation is passed in Parliament that one percent of all superannuation contributions be quarantined to offer loans for the establishment of cooperatives and collectives. This could be a government initiative to tackle the issue of unemployment. It's not a matter of you turn up and say, I've got a collective, can I have 100000 grand? Obviously people would have business plans, they'd have uh, structures, they'd be legal entities, uh, just like when somebody goes to a bank you know, to borrow money to start a business. And by creating this third tier in a capitalist economy, the collective cooperative model, what you would find that they would be able to compete with all these large corporations which are casualising staff and putting them on short-term contracts. Quite easily compete. It's an idea. It's an idea whose time has come because you can't expect an economy which is dominated by corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders. You can't expect them to actually do something for the people of this country because if you're a corporation, you've got no responsibility to the country. You see that every day when you've got huge corporations like Google and Amazon you know, paying virtual taxation companies like Chevron who've got to be dragged to court kicking and screaming to pay a little bit of tax. Even the, when you see the banks, the big banks carrying on about a, some pathetic 0.06% tax which they'll you know, pass on to their uh, customers because they may le- lose their competitive edge in the marketplace You because know, the smaller banks will then be able to compete on a, a more level playing field. So think about it. We're not a, the anarchist world this week is not about whinging and cringing and doffing our cap and saying, woe be us, the sky's going to you know, fall in. We're about creating a political movement, both with a parliamentary arm and an extra parliamentary arm, a political movement which wishes to devolve power and share wealth, a political movement based on the concept of inclusiveness, a political movement that recognises the major issue we face, not just in this country but across the globe, is not the other, but that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. That's what we're on about. And we and I make no apologies for initiating and becoming involved in reformist movements which devolve power and help to share wealth. 
because that is the basis of the anarchist struggle. The basis of the anarchist struggle is to create a society without rulers, and that's one way to do it. So think about it. 1%. 1%. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, those of you who listen to this program regularly, and hopefully there's three or four of you, maybe one in each state if we're lucky, and possibly a half in each territory, remember that we keep talking about public interest before corporate interest. Now, public interest before corporate interest are the people we've been waiting for. Now, I'm the Secretary of Public Interest before corporate interest, and the whole purpose of public interest before corporate interest is to create a political and social movement which is based on the devolution of power and the sharing of wealth. It's an inclusive political organisation, an inclusive political party. And I said, and I keep saying ad nauseum, we are, we are currently attempting to register as a political party. And to do that on the federal level, you need 550 members on the electoral roll. And every day we're getting new members. Slowly, we're getting new members. So in order to push up the ante and in order to give the organisation a little bit more public visibility, we will be holding, in Victoria this is, and obviously you can do the same thing in your state if you are want to join public interest before corporate interest, and we do have members across the country, and we do recommend that you start getting active. But in Victoria, we'll be holding a rally on the last Wednesday of the month outside the Victorian Parliament House in Spring Street in Melbourne. Not because we're there to beg and beseech and cringe and carry on, but because we want to expand this organisation, because we want to bring people together who think the role of government is to provide for the public at large, not just the people pulling the parliamentary strings. So that rally will be from midday to 1pm, last Wednesday of the end, at the end of the month till the end of the year. So the first rally, the first public interest before corporate interest rally, starting at midday, will be on the 31st of May. And those of you with calendars can have a look where it is in June, July, August, September, October, November and possibly December. So the whole purpose of this is to rehabilitate the concept of the public interest because the concept of public interest is no longer a something which is discussed in polite circles. You notice how we use the two Ps, public interest, polite circles. It is not discussed in polite circles. It's the type of thing which is, you know, people think has been buried. Well, the public interest has not been buried. Many of the fracture lines we see being created in our society through the deregulation, globalisation, privatisation and uh, corporatisation revolution that has swept this country over the last 40 years, and it has been a revolution, unlike us mild reformers, has been the fracturing of society. And we are seeing that in all sectors. For example, in the education sector, the secondary education sector, we are seeing more and more people being dragged into the private school sector or to the um, 
high achieving state school um, uh, campuses around this in Victoria has grown as inequality grows and as less resources go to public schools. So this creates fracture lines. It creates a them and us mentality. It ensures that the social elevator, which was the greatest uh, contribution of the Whitlam era, has not only been dismantled, but the bits and pieces of the social elevator have been taken to the local tip and buried. So it ensures structural inequality. It ensures intergenerational inequality. And that's why you get this call, you know, for more police, more laws, more prison, whip the, you know, whip the uh, juvenile offenders and the list goes on and on. So this is the situation we currently find ourselves in. We are, there are fractures developing in our society. And many people are exploiting these fractures and pointing the finger at the other as the reason for the development of this fracture, these fractures in society. You know, it's the person with the funny thing on their heads. It's the person who speaks a different language, the person who's, you know, a different colour or a different gender or a different sexual orientation. If we got rid of them, we put them in their place, there'd be no problems. Well, obviously, that's a lot of garbage. And that's why public interest before corporate is an inclusive movement. So the rally will be on the last Wednesday of every month. It is an opportunity for people across the country and across Victoria and across Melbourne to come along, meet fellow activists. It's an opportunity to join public interest before corporate interests. It's an opportunity to socialise and reclaim public space on the steps of Parliament House. And at the end of the rally, we will be walking about 20 metres into the park next to uh, Parliament House for a lunch. So bring along some drinks and food. Let's make this a community festival. Public interest before corporate interest is about bringing people together to fight for change, to fight for the devolution of power, to fight to ensure that everybody in society, not just a privileged minority, is able to reap the benefits of being part of that society. This is an inclusive movement. This is your chance to become involved in an inclusive, growing political movement, not just in this country, but around the world where people are feeling fed up with not just traditional political parties, but traditional political structures. And in essence, public interest before corporate interests is about creating a new, dynamic, inclusive, social movement that always puts the interests of the people as a whole before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social and environmental and national costs. Think about it. We're not there to beg and beseech on the 31st of May. Open microphone. No, you know, well-known public figures to speak. They're not interested, are they? The P word is an obscenity as far as they're concerned. It's all about 
corporations. It's all about dancing to the tune. It's making sure that there's, you know, when there's a, a minor reform like the Liberal National Party suggesting regarding a, a bank tax of 0.06%, 0.06%, that all hell breaks loose. Let's move on. So, you're listening to this program, you've got nothing to do, you're interested in what we're talking about, come along to the public interest before corporate interest rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at midday on the 31st of May. Join us after for a, you know, for a meal. This is about raising the profile of those people who wish to put public interests before corporate interests on a regular basis. So if you want to uh, want to download an application form, go to info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Have a look at the Facebook page. Uh, want to learn more, you can always go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, for the public. And go to the Anarchist Media Institute webpage, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. But I'm Joseph Scarlett, listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the community radio satellite across this country, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Not computer literate? You do exist. We understand. As far as the rest of the society is concerned, you ain't got a computer, you don't exist. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Haven't got a stamp? You can always ring. You can always leave a uh, message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Might not get back to you straight away, but I will get back to you in the next day or so. If you just want a, a copy of the uh, of the Pipsy application form, just leave a name and address, and we'll post it out to you. Or just leave a uh, an email address, and we can email it out to you. Uh, thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. No, we're not finished. We're just beginning. Arbo Day. Now, those of you a regular listeners of the program will know that we uh, take Marbo Day seriously, very seriously, and we celebrate on Marbo Day. And the 3rd of June, that's a Saturday, marks the 25th anniversary of Marbo Day, and there will be celebrations across the country. But I'll concentrate on the celebrations we're holding in Melbourne because they're the ones I'm familiar with. Now, Reconciliation Week begins on Sorry Day, that's the 27th of May, and ends on Marbo Day, the 3rd of June. This is a relatively new concept. Reconciliation Week. Been around for a while, but hasn't been around for hundreds of years. Begins on Sorry Day, the 27th of May, and ends on Marbo Day, the 3rd of June. Now, there should be, there should be, doesn't mean there are, events which are organised by groups and councils and governments across the country to mark both days. Sorry Day, the 27th of May and Marbo Day the 3rd of June. This is an exceptionally important week in the struggle to try to heal the festering sore that continues to exist between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the rest of the community. 
Um, I'm inviting you on behalf of Alan Jose, uh, Torres Strait Elder from Murr, to join us to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Marbo Day on Saturday the 3rd of June in Melbourne at 11.30am. That's right, 11.30am, Saturday the 3rd of June at Federation Square in Melbourne at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street. Since 2003, Alan Jose, a Torres Strait Islander elder who has lived in Melbourne for over 40 years and his family comes from Mur, Darnley and Horn Island in the Torres Strait, has organised a yearly Marbo commemoration in Melbourne at Federation Square to mark the end of the historical fiction this land was uninhabited before it was colonised by the British Crown in 1788. Terra nullius. Beautiful word, isn't it? Terra nullius. Land of no one. This is how the British Crown justified the genocide which occurred on this land. This year, unlike previous years, the Federation, the Melbourne Federation Square Authority, which is a state government instrumentality, and the Curie Heritage Trust, which is uh, located in uh, Melbourne's uh, Federation Square, has organised a Marbo Day community picnic and celebration at the Birrung River Terrace next to Federation Square from midday to 3pm on Saturday the 3rd of June. So come along to the uh, celebration, come along at 11.30am to join people who go there on a yearly basis to celebrate Marbo Day and then walk with us down to the Birrarung River Terrace to join in the community picnic and events which have been organised to celebrate Marbo Day. So why celebrate on Marbo Day? There's a lot of people, both in the Indigenous and non-Indigenous community, who just really don't think, you know, who don't understand the significance, how important this day was 25 years a day. Because what this decision did, and I'll talk about it in a second, is it looked at ownership of land. And ownership of land is the cornerstone of a capitalist society. Individual, private ownership of land. The genocide which occurred during the colonisation process, which spread over 140 years in Tasmania and Australia, was based on the idea that the people who had lived here for generations, for over 40,000 years, had no rights to land. When Australia was invaded and colonised on the 26th of January 1788, the British colonisers acted as if the land was uninhabited. I mean, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders on this land were little more than flora and fauna. They had less rights than flora and fauna. Over 40 years of civilization was swept aside in an orgy of destruction that resulted in the violent disposition of people who had a long and fruitful association with the land, the water and the oceans. For 204 years, the legal fiction of terra nullius, look it up, those of you who got computer RSI, Terra, T-E-R-R-A, one word, Nullius, N-U-L-L-I-U-S. 
the land of no one, was used to legally reward the murderers who colonised this land, although the original inhabitants had never ceded their sovereign rights over their lands. Let's not forget that. There were no treaties entered into with the 200-odd, 200-plus Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations that lived on this land. No treaties, none whatsoever. So although they may have been defeated in battle, they never ceded their sovereign rights. In 1982, three traditional landowners from the island of Mur in the eastern Torres Strait, Eddie Cookie Mabo, Father Passy and Grandfather Rice, set in train a series of events that began in the Queensland courts and ended in the High Court of Australia that overturned the doctrine that Australia was unoccupied terra nullius at the time of the British invasion. The High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992, 25 years ago, ruled that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' interests in land and water survived the assertion of sovereignty by the Crown. The judgment caused consternation among Australian landowners. And those of you who are old enough to remember 25 years ago, I mean, we had headlines in the Murdoch media, especially about Indigenous people setting up camp in your backyard. It's just extraordinary. It was just an extraordinary action because this was the first time that the idea of ownership of land had been challenged, legally challenged, not challenged in terms of extra-parliamentary activity and protest, but legally challenged, and that legal challenge had been upheld. It didn't take long for the spirit and the letter of the judgment to be buried in bucket loads of extinguishment by successive federal governments. 25 years after the High Court judgment gave Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders rights to land in law, the question of sovereignty, the extent of native title and a need for a treaty between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians continues despite attempts by successive federal governments to bury the issue to be the single most important impediment to reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. So come along. Help us celebrate this significant day. This week there will be 300 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders elders meeting at Uluru to make a decision about the current plans to hold a referendum to include Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in the prelude to the Australian Constitution. Not the Australian Constitution, not a treaty, not the extension of the Mabo decision, but the prelude to the Australian, preface to the Australian Constitution. So join us, join Ellen Jose, join the rest of us. Saturday the 3rd of June, 11.30am at Federation Square, Melbourne, corner of Flinders and Swanson Street for a ceremony to mark that day. And then walk with us to the Birrarong River Terrace next to Federation Square to become involved in a Torres Strait Islander community event to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Mabo Day. Now, the last time there was a significant congregation of people for Mabo Day was on the 10th anniversary, which again was held in Melbourne. But across the country, there will be events to mark Reconciliation Week. Sorry Day on the 27th of May, Mabo Day on the 3rd of June. I encourage you, wherever you are in this country,
to make the effort to find out what's happening in your corner of the globe and get involved, become involved, attend, learn, ask questions, understand, take action. If you are in Melbourne, join us to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Marbo Day, Saturday the 3rd of June, 11.30am, at Federation Square, Melbourne, corner of Flinders and Swanson Street, and uh, then um, walk with us, march with us, down to the Birrarung River Terrace to become part of the uh, uh, Torres Strait Islander uh, Festival to mark that 25th anniversary. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email me at anarchistage@yahoo.com. Look at my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Become a friend, like the page. That's what they tell me I've got to say. Yep, get involved, get involved. Because as I said before, we analyse, we look, we act. We bring the past into the present to understand the future. I'm sick of listening to people carry on and do nothing. What we've created in this country is a culture of complaint. And to a large degree, that culture of complaint is linked to the fact that we are consumers. We are designated the consumer level. Everywhere we walk, there's a big scene on top of our head. Consumer. Man, woman and child who needs to consume things. We are consumers. We are not citizens with rights and responsibilities. Citizenship is pushed aside except when we talk about the other. Most Australians carp and complain because they don't see themselves as citizens with rights and responsibilities. You interact with a government department, you are a customer, a consumer of services. You go to Centrelink, you are a customer. You know, you line up. You are a customer. You're not a citizen with rights and responsibility. You're not a resident. You are a first and foremost a customer. We are not customers of government services. We are citizens who have a right to access these services because of the sacrifices made by generations who fought for us to have those rights and ensured those rights were enshrined in legislation. But now these rights are taken away and we're treated as customers. Citizens act. Citizens determine the type of community they live in. Citizens have an impact on the law. They change the law. Customers complain. And they get more junk if they're successful. And if they're unsuccessful, they burn their money. That is the difference between a citizen and a customer. You are a citizen or a resident of this country. And as a citizen or resident of this country, you have rights. You have responsibilities. So next time some pimply-faced bureaucrat tells you that you are a customer, you know, if you go to Medicare or you have an interaction 
on the phone, no, I'm a citizen and I expect to be treated as a citizen. And let's not forget, the terminology which is used by government agencies was changed for one reason. Because they don't want us to be citizens who have rights and responsibilities. They just love us to trot out every three years and cast a ballot and then go away and sulk or celebrate you know, because our team won the election, and then they want us to sit in the background and wait and wait and wait for another three years, and then once again we go out and cast our ballot. But it doesn't work that way. Democracy, and especially direct democracy, is about eternal vigilance, is about people participating, it's about participating at all levels, not just waiting for somebody to do something for you. That is the type of attitude you expect from a consumer. I've paid my money. The thing I got isn't up to scratch. I'm going to complain about it. And if I get my money back, I'll buy more garbage. No, that's not who you are. That's not what you are. That's what we're told we are. Every transaction is a financial transaction. You go to a non-bulk billing doctor, financial transaction. You go to a dentist, a financial transaction. You go to the bank, financial transaction. You have a cup of coffee, financial transaction. You buy some food, financial transaction. You get on a plane, financial transaction. You get on a tram, financial transaction. You send your kids to school, financial transaction, although it's supposed to be three public education. And the list goes on and on. So remember, we are in a struggle, and it's an important struggle that is based on the meaning of words and how words are used to demean, degrade, isolate, marginalise people. And we see it every day. Every day, you have corporations who don't pay tax, whose CEOs continue to get gongs in the you know in the honours list every year, who are treated like gods because they've got cash or money or property, treated like gods, as if. Having the power to accumulate wealth by exploiting other people's labour is something to crow about. And then you have people who work hard day in and day out, pay their taxes, obey the law, try to educate their kids, do what they can to be part of their community, who are treated like disposable garbage. Ignored, marginalised, pushed aside, no wonder people become angry. Angry. When every minute of your day is spent trying to work out how you are going to pay that next bill, while people who own more than one one house can use this country's negative gearing laws to actually minimise legally their tax, And when multinational corporations who make billions of dollars starve the east coast of Australia for gas because they've sold it all overseas because of stupid government decisions in the past, you begin to realise why people get angry.
But don't turn your anger on the other, the person with the honey, funny headdress, who wears funny clothes, who talks a different language, who worships a different god or don't, doesn't worship a god. Think about it. Who's the real enemy? Who is maximising return for themselves? Who seems to be able to dodge the bullet every time, you know, a new tax is introduced? Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scarum, host of today's program. Now, we've got a budgetary problem, they tell us. Okay, let's look at it. Let's accept the figures and we can juggle the figures if we want to, but I think I spoke last week about the $444 billion, which is estimated revenue, which will be coming in uh, into uh, the uh, federal government coffers. And only about, uh, of that $444 billion, we'd be lucky. Lucky. Very lucky to raise maybe $20, 25000000000 billion from the corporate sector. Over half still comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers. And there's all different types of duties and taxes, you know, which make up the rest. But when it comes to our corporate brothers and sisters who are about to get a $62 billion tax cut over the next few years, they don't seem to actually pay much tax because, you see, although they use the roads and the police and the infrastructure and the fire services and the health services, you know, to expand their empire, which are all publicly funded, you know, funded by idiots like you and me, they just don't seem to want to put their hands in their pockets. Maybe their arms are too short. Maybe their pockets are too deep. I don't know. We were told, you know, how what a tough time all these nasty people are having. Well, I'll tell you one way in order to get a buck. And I don't want you all to jump up and down who've got your money in superannuation because it really benefits you in the long term. How about a 1%? I said we're going to be the 1%ers today. How about a 1% stock market turnover tax. You buy a share, ka-ching, one cent in every dollar goes into the Federal Treasury. You sell a share, ka-ching. Now, I can see you all pulling out your hankies and saying, oh, no, it's going to affect my superannuation. Well, it really doesn't affect your superannuation in the long term. I mean, you can lose half your superannuation in a week because over half of the trillion dollars which sits in superannuation funds is invested on the stock market every day. It's over $500 billion. Well, over the year, I should say. Is invested, not turns over every day, is invested over $500 billion. I mean, because superannuation was a really beautiful way to increase the amount of capital that stock markets could use. But going back to the original proposition, now, usually... Turnover in the Australian stock market ranges from about $3 billion to about $15 billion a day. If you have a 1% turnover tax, you could raise about 16 maybe $17 billion a year to go into Federal Treasury. And if you're concerned about all those poor mum and dad investors... Well, you could kind of maybe put a rule in that if there's less than $5,000 in shares, you could uh, 
forego that 1% tax. And it's all computerised, so it's all very easy. It's all very easy. Very simple. No big deal. Very simple. Bing, you press a button. Bing, it's a little bit like the GST. Most businesses are computerised. Bing, press a button. Bing, there's the money. So it's not about the fact there aren't ways to raise revenue. There are ways to raise revenue. What we need is the political will. The political will. The parliamentary puppets need to be more afraid of us, the people who give them that mandate to represent us in Parliament, than they are of the parliamentary puppet masters, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. They need to be more frightened of us because ultimately, theoretically, Parliament represents the interests of the people of this country. The dilemma is, as I've said before on this program, The Anarchist World this week, is that parliamentarians who belong to large political parties, especially large political parties, are not beholden to the electorate. They are beholden to that political party. That political party determines pre-selection to stand as a candidate at the next election. And in so-called safe Labor, Liberal, National, Labor Party, Green seats, that pre-selection basically, not who votes for you, determines who goes to Parliament. So when a parliamentarian is elected, their primary responsibility is to the political party, which has given them the tick to stand, not to the electorate. And because we have no mechanism in this country via which to recall non-performing politicians in between elections... They can change their colours, they can change their policies, they can do whatever they like to a significant degree unless they're found guilty of a criminal act you know, and they lose their seat in Parliament. So what we need is a mechanism by which we can recall them in between elections and a simple way would be save 10% of registered electors signed a petition, say in a four-week period that they wanted this a new election, well, bingo. You hold a new election. So that person is directly accountable to the electorate, not directly accountable to the party that puts them in that position. But I digress. So there are mechanisms of raising revenue which don't require bloodshed in the streets, which don't require violent revolution, which require parliamentary action, as we are seeing currently with this 0.06% banking tax on their liabilities, which will raise about $6.4 billion over four years, which isn't much in the scheme of things. I'm talking about raising 15 to $17 billion a year for a 1% stock market turnover tax, and all it takes is a majority in both Houses of Parliament, the Senate and the House of Reps, for that to become law. And the sky won't fall in and nobody will go bankrupt. And we, as the public, benefit. 
listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. <coughs> you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.net. You can... Uh, Download the application form to join public interest before corporate interest at pipsy.net. And don't forget the Defend and Extend public housing campaign, which uh, we're involved in here in uh, Victoria. The next Defend and Extend public housing rally will be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on Wednesday, the 7th of June. So big day, two days in a row, 31st of May. Public interest before corporate interest rally, steps of the Victorian Parliament House, 7th of June. Defend and extend public housing rally on the steps of Parliament House. So how's the Defend and Extend uh, campaign going? Well, if you ask us, swimmingly. Now, if you do want to get involved in the Defend and Extend public housing campaign, the Victorian Labor Party, you know, the Victorian Labor Party is holding a state conference Saturday the 20th of May at the Mooney Valley Racecourse and Defend and Extend Public Housing is handing out leaflets to all the delegates about this particular issue because the Labor Party in Victoria has washed its hands of public housing pouring $2.7 billion into the affordable social community housing sector, which is the private sector, and into public-private partnerships to provide so-called housing for people. They have walked away from the concept of public housing and the best way to decrease housing prices is by having significant amounts of public housing stock. It solves the problem of homelessness, It solves the problems of waiting lists. It puts downward pressure on private rents and also private uh, mortgages or house prices at the lower end of the market. Think about it. Simple concept. And as I said last week, $6.1 billion was raised by stamp duty. That's selling houses, apartments in the state of Victoria. You could build 20,000 new public housing units every year if that money which was raised from stamp duty from the sale of homes and units and buildings was earmarked for public housing you could solve the problem tomorrow it is simple it is a matter of political will there is no political will to go down that pathway none whatsoever so if you want to be part of this uh, small group that's handing out leaflets at the Victorian State Labor Conference at the Mooney Valley Racecourse. Be there at 8am sharp at the front gate. Beryl is coordinating the uh, leaflet leafleting. Introduce yourself to her. She'll give you leaflets. There'll be over a 1,000 delegates attending. We need at least 10 people on the day. It'll only be there for three or f- two or three hours in the morning. Saturday the 20th of May, Mooney Valley Racecourse, 8am. 
Beryl's coordinating the leafleting. She's got the leaflets. Turn up. Give her a hand if you can. Two hours of your time. No more than two hours of your time. This Saturday, 20th of May, Mooney Valley Racecourse State Labor Party Conference. A government which has washed its hands of providing public housing to the people of Victoria. They need, the delegates need to understand they are playing a very, very difficult little game and that we will not allow them to get away with muddying the waters about the differences between social housing, community housing, public-private partnerships and public housing. So this Saturday, 20th of May, 8am, Beryl's Coordinating. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Don't forget, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Rally, Wednesday, 31st of May, Steps of the Victorian Parliament House, followed by a community picnic. We're not there to beg and beseech midday sharp. We are there to talk, formulate, create a political and social movement that is based on putting public interest before corporate interest. Don't forget Mabo Day celebrations, 25th anniversary. Check what's happening in your part of the world regarding Reconciliation Week, but in Melbourne, join us on Saturday, the 3rd of June, 11.30am at Federation Square, Melbourne, corner of Flinders and Swanson Street, and then walk down to the community Torres Strait Islander Festival, which has been held at Birrarung River Terrace next to Federation Square to mark the day. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is produced from the studios of Melbourne's community radio station, 3CR. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can go to the websites anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. You can download application form to, to join public interest before corporate interest from info at pibci.net. You can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Join, like, become involved. You can go to my personal Facebook page. No, you won't find out what colour underpants I wear. I don't wear underpants. You can go to Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, for the public. Toscano for the public. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast, freecr.org.au. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.